0: Jakey With ease, Miguel Aziz, his first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town colours. One month off, but we are back with Away From Hell. end, And we're going to switch things up a little bit today. Just because there's no point in trying to go back through each match over a month period of time. I've done my best to keep you all up to date on Twitter. But this one's going to be a little bit more of an overarching episode, one where we look at each player who's on loan this year or who has been on loan this year, what they've contributed, what they've lacked, and what their future may hold, which is honestly, and I understand why, the most common question that I get on Twitter. Oh, this player did this, or this player did that. What's next for them? What are they going to do next year when can we see them in the first team and you know you have to remember that not every one of these players is going to play for the first team at any point most of them will not but that's not what they're really meant to do it's every player's dream to play for the team they've been a part of their academy since they're six seven eight years old but that's only possible for a couple from every grouping and we've seen it with the likes of saka and smith Rowe. Uh, we've seen it with the likes of eddie and Kedia. But think about the likes of Jeffrey and Adelaide, or even Joe Willock, who got to play for Arsenal many times, but more importantly, fetched a £40 million fee, which helped bring in Martin Odegaard. And that contribution to the club is as big as any. So what we're going to do is kind of go in somewhat of an order of who's most likely to least likely going to play a role for Arsenal in the future, with also mixed in kind of how their performances this year might have affected their likelihood to play for Arsenal next year. So off the bat, obviously, Flo Balagoon, there is nobody more important to talk about on loan than him right now because there's just a lot of controversy. And you would think, oh, we send our biggest striker prospect out on loan. He scores 19 goals, 18 in the league. He's one behind Mbappe. There could only be positive things to say about him. Yet I'm seeing... People saying, I can't believe he wants a guaranteed spot in the first team next year. He doesn't want to fight for his spot. First of all, from some sources that are much less than reliable. And also, obviously, yeah, he doesn't want to come in and be like, uh, coming off the best season of his career and be third choice just because he wasn't here last year. He wants the right to try and play for Arsenal in the league week in and week out. And who wouldn't? I think the BS of he doesn't want to fight for his spot is the most overplayed. Do you remember how much they were saying that about Saliba? He, he's going to leave. He doesn't want to fight for his spot. He came in, fought for a spot and immediately won it because he's that good. If Flo Balgun's that good, he'll come in fight for a spot and win it. I think he could very well do that. I also think it's more likely Arsenal will take the fee they can get for him because of the stage of the project that we are in. We are not in the stage where we want to keep developing talent and, and take the risk of Flo Balgun coming in and taking five ten matches to get Hit the ground running. We would need Flo Balagoon to come in, challenge Jesus for that starting striker role, and pretty much immediately win that spot from him if he's going to make that impact. Or if we can get a healthy fee for Eddie and Kedia, Flo Balagoon as a second option is a great one. Uh, by the way, I think Balagoon has really transformed his game to become an excellent mix of the two strikers and someone who could fit the system quite well. But it's just not that simple. There's politics involved, there's wage demands involved, new contract. If he comes next year, and sits on the bench and plays the role Eddie and ketty have played, his transfer value is gonna go from 55, 60 million to 35, 40. That's a huge difference for the club. And also the player's attitude. You need a player to come in. If the Arsenal are seriously gonna go on and win this league this year, or even if they come close, you don't want someone coming into the locker room who might not necessarily gel. And I'm not saying that's the truth about Flo. We, I know he gets along well with all of the hail Enders and everyone I've heard. He's worked incredibly well with Will Still and the players over at Reims. You see them on social media hanging out with them outside the pitch, outside the locker room, they're boys. Nonetheless, there's big discussions to be had, and I think a lot will have to do with how both he ends the season, how Arsenal end the season, and also Eddie and Kedia. Eddie and Kedia might feel that if he's not going to be first choice striker, he wants to leave. He wants a chance to lead the line somewhere else, which I think would be a reasonable thing, and he's proven that he can do that for pretty much any side in the Premier League. He's an excellent finisher. His link-up play has gotten even better. Yes, he's not as rotational as Gabriel Jesus, but rotation is not always key to being a good striker, and it just depends on the system you're in. Just looking at Flo's statistics from this year, he's played 31 matches under two different managers. Obviously, Will still came in, avoid the low-hanging fruit of the obvious joke. Uh, 19 goals and 3 assists in all comps, 18 goals in the league, 1 behind the leader, who is Kylian Mbappe. He leads League One in XG with 21, a little over 21, two and a half more than second and 3.1 more than Mbappe, who's in third. He has the second most big chances missed behind only Kylian Mbappe. Third most shots and shots on target taken behind only Killian Mbappe and this other guy named, I think, Messi. And he's 10th in big chances created amongst forwards. So he's not just goal scoring. He's creating. He's the eighth most fouled forward in the league. He's played the third most minutes of any forward in the league. It's been an incredible season for him in many different ways. He's showing he's he's shown he's available. He doesn't get injured often. He missed two matches all year for a very slight hamstring injury, and those matches were in early January. One was a Coupe de France match against a much lower side league in which they didn't need to feel the need to risk him. And the other one he missed just so we could get healthy, but no long-term injuries. He's proven that he can play in multiple different systems. He has hit the ground running every time he has been asked to do something different. From the beginning of the season, he was playing kind of in a two-striker role as somebody who making more runs in behind, long balls, and, and trying to chase things down. He's shown he can be a complete striker for Re- Stade de Rem and do all the things that you need. He shows to the ball he spins defenders, he creates not only for himself but for the team. Reims currently sit 8th on 47 points with 8 matches to play. They're trying to catch Lil in 5th who are on 52. If they do they'll get into Europe which would be an incredible feat for Flo. Will still, I mean his legacy there would be immaculate if he was able to do that for them and the rest of the team. There's a lot of exciting players at this club And I think that's really helped Flo's progression. A lot of young players who have similar aspirations, they're all fighting for a young manager who understands where they're coming from. You can see in the training videos how much fun they're having. It's been a great year for Flo Balagoon. I'm very, very excited to see what happens this summer. As an American myself, it's great news that he's most likely going to be playing for us. It's a perfect player for our system as well. Rotational ability is key. Let's just see what happens, and people need to not jump down the throats of Flo Balogun for wanting to be a first-team striker. thats He's not saying he doesn't have the ambition to fight. Like This is such a childish way of reading the news. He's saying that he's not coming to Arsenal to be the third-choice striker, and I think Arsenal are well aware of that, too. That's—that That is a common want and need for the two of them. They both want either Flo to be making an impact immediately or to be sold somewhere where he can do that and, and fetch a big fee. Next up, we're going to go to Charlie Patino, who, you know, started off having a great season. And not that he's not still playing well, but Blackpool have had a tumultuous one. They are looking more and more likely to go down by the day. They've now sacked two managers in four months. After Appleton was let go early in the new year, then obviously Mick McCarthy has just been sacked a week ago. I mean, it's tough not only to try and adapt to your first period on loan as a 19-year-old playing in one of the roughest and rowdiest leagues, especially in midfield, where if you're not willing to put a foot in and if you're not ready to get stomped on, you're going to have a tough time. And Charlie Patino has stepped up to that challenge week in and week out since the very first match of the year. He has not been scared of anything. His confidence has never been lacking. He is trying to pull off the same tricks, the beautiful football that he's known to play at Hale End. He has just been himself and continued to show his identity through it all. But obviously, there have been times where he's not been picked multiple weeks in a row. There's been times where he's been played in multiple different positions over a three-week period. It's impressive for such a young kid who has so he feels like he must have the weight of the world on his shoulders. He is talked about in the light of the greatest players to come out of Hale End. He's supposed to be a better version of Jack Wiltshire, who was, if barred an injury, the greatest hail-end product we've had in 25 years. And Charlie has taken that all on with a plum. He's played 32 matches this year. Third manager, now incoming. Three goals and four assists, eight yellow cards. He did have the one double yellow. That turned into a red. Blackpool, as I said, they currently sit second to bottom. Seven points from safety with five matches to play. I mean... When you're in that position, obviously your feeling is we can get out of this. We can win a few matches and all of a sudden we're not in the relegation scrap. But for a young player who's never played in a league setting before, who also knows most likely that he's not playing for Blackpool ever again in his career, he has shown that he was still willing to fight for the badge. He's willing to fight for the club. The fans love him. He has shown that any worry of his defensive contribution and his defensive abilities is something that need not be worried about. Eighth in interceptions amongst midfielders in the championship. Reading play the way he does with the ball, without the ball. He's been asked to play as the furthest forward midfielder. He's been asked to play as the furthest deep midfielder. He's done especially well as a deep line playmaker, not only spraying the ball to the wings, you know, dropping the shoulder, getting by a man to keep possession while being pressed and and play forward, but also getting into passing lanes, preventing easy crosses into the box, uh, winning aerial duels with ease at times. Obviously, a very tall figure, someone who has hit a bit of a growth spurt in the last eighteen months and quickly learned how to use his new advantages to help him become a better footballer. He's also played as a left-center midfielder, kind of as a number eight in those more advanced half-space pockets, and he's sixth in accurate cross-percentage amongst midfielders, 17th in the league overall. He's got such a wide skill set, one that, if you think about it, resembles a lot of what Granit Xhaka has done for Arsenal over the past eight years, which is play wherever he's being asked to play. Be a physical midfield presence who also has the elegance, the creativity, and the technical ability to create in the final third. But what Charlie Bettino has that's a little different is he has an extra bit of athleticism to himself. Granted, Jacques is not dropping the shoulder and bypassing a couple of players in midfield. He just doesn't do it very often. Charlie Bettino can do that. Charlie Bettino is also, we've seen him do it at youth levels. He can score goals inside the box with regularity. Granit Xhaka has only just been begun to add that to a game, his game. He also wasn't asked to do that too much prior in his career. But Charlie Bettino is a very natural fit for that left-sided 8 role, And I would expect that he returns to Arsenal's first team next year, at the very least gets a chance in preseason to impress Arteta enough to give him the chance to be that rotational left-sided 8. If we're going to play the Premier League, the Champions League, FA Cup and Carabao Cup, with the expectation that we're going to try and compete in all four, which, if you look at some of the team selection this year, you can clearly see that was not the expectation. We were fine with going out of the League Cup early. That was clear by who was chosen. We were fine to go out of the FA Cup early. Again, clear by who was chosen against Manchester City. We had to play Manchester City in the FA Cup, and Arteta made the decision There are bigger things at stake here in the long term. With the depth that we have in our squad, it makes more sense to try and win one, maybe two competitions. Europa League was a bit unfortunate. You know, again, injury played a role. Sporting played excellently in the two ties. And that competition has its own, like, weirdness that is an incalculable attribute. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, look at the united Sevilla match from just last night. There's no world in which United didn't win that match 5 or 6-0. And somehow it ended 2-2. There's something about that competition that brings out the worst in big clubs. And as much as I like to troll Manchester United, I mean, it's the same thing about the final they lost. Where it went to goalkeepers on penalties. I mean, it's like stuff out of a video game. That competition is cursed. But I expect Charlie Patino to play for Arsenal's first team next year. If not, the only thing that would make sense is a loan to another Premier League side maybe a Brighton, another team that plays in possession, maybe a a Brentford, I could see. They don't really have a role that suits him all that well. Uh, But those would be the only other things I could see. I could see if West Ham stay up and David Moyes stays, I I could see Charlie Patino going on loan there. To a club that's fighting for Europe, not necessarily fighting for the league. Again, we're a little bit ahead of schedule. Although next year would have been the year that we would have liked to fight for the league anyway. So Great season so far for Charlie. Really enjoyed watching him, and I think this is two out of two loans so far that have been selected wonderfully and have really come to fruition. I think, ideally, Arsenal would have liked Appleton to stay longer. I think that possession-style football that he plays, the expansive style, was more of what Arsenal had you know, in line for Charlie. But nonetheless, it has worked well. Staying in the championship, Brooke Norton Cuffey next in line amongst players who may have a chance to feature for the first team next year or go on loan to a Premier League side. He's had an interesting one. Obviously, we've covered the Rotherham loan in detail. Not going to spend too much time on that. He played 21 matches for them before being recalled and sent to Coventry. Brooks played under three different managers total. He's had two assists and seven yellow cards. He's played in all but two matches for these two clubs. That's pretty incredible. Another player whose availability has been key. Availability is the best ability, especially for a side like Arsenal, who over the years, we all know, have struggled endlessly with unlucky injuries at inopportune times. Norton Cuffey has played as a right back in a back four, a right wing back in a back five, an inverted right back in kind of a back three, five situation. He has kind of played anywhere from the right half space to his heels touching the, the sideline on the right side. He has also played at left back and left wing back at Rotherham in the first half of this season. Come on as a sub there, he started one match there. He's shown his versatility as well as his availability. Coventry currently sit ninth, three points off of six with five matches to play. So not only has Brooke Norton Cuffey played in 37 matches for championship sides already this year, but he is also about to play in an absolute battle for promotion. With the chance to play in promotion playoffs, with the chance to then play in a promotion playoff final at Wembley. I mean, these are experiences that you cannot compute. These are the types of things that if Brooknor and Cuffee shows his class, his ability to stay calm and, and rise to the challenge, are things that could see him in Arteta's eyes as a player who maybe he can deputize on a Champions League night or on a big night in the Premier League when Ben White is unavailable or Tomiyasu, who's seemingly never available. I don't think that Brooke Norton-Cuffy steps into the side next year, especially considering how many right-backs we've been linked to. I think it's more likely he goes on loan one more time and then Arsenal make a decision on his future, but he's only 19. 19 19-year-old defenders are not often starting or playing a role in Premier League winning sides. Look at Rico Lewis. He had excellent moments this year, but he still isn't starting consistently for Manchester City. John Stones, who had very, very little experience as an inverted right back, has stepped into that role, and he's done excellently. But Rico Lewis, who had done well there, and one of the main reasons he even got playing time was to play there, isn't getting that opportunity. It's tough to be a defender at that age. Think about Rural Walters. Obviously, in light of the article that came out today, he's getting a lot of publicity, so I think he's worth talking about here. He played excellently in preseason against high-level senior competition, a player who can play anywhere against the back line. Rob Holding, obviously a huge risk, someone who doesn't play football the way that Arteta likes to play it, but he's still going to go with Rob Holding for the experience, because especially in defense, experience... Is something that you need in big matches. And if Brooke Norton Cuffey can get this experience, tying it back to Brooke Norton Cuffey in these big matches, trying to help his team to the promotion playoffs, help his team win a semifinal, help help his team at Wembley. That would be excellent. We know a lot about the things that Brooke Norton Cuffey is great at. He's 10th most successful dribbles in the championship this year. He has the nineteenth most accurate crosses amongst defenders in the championship this year. He has the nineteenth most tackles amongst defenders in the championship this year. Seventh most ground duels won amongst defenders in the championship. These stats aren't amazing. They're just to give you a little context about what I think is some unnecessary scapegoating amongst Coventry fans. They expect players to hold possession and never lose it. Yes, Brooknorn Cuffey has been inconsistent at times. But you don't have a Brooknorn Cuffey on the pitch and tell him when he receives the ball... To just continue to pass sideways and pass backwards you have a player like Brookner and Cuffey on the pitch because you want him to try and fail try and fail try and succeed and that time he succeeds it turns into something brilliant with his attributes his strength his speed why have him on the pitch if you're just asking him to play backwards you want him to take a man on you want him to try something because you know he can have it come off 10th most successful dribbles in the championship this season for a 19 year old defender the amount of confidence he must have in himself to go along with his skill is incredible i will say he has not found his stride crossing the ball this season something that if you remember one of my first scouting reports on him over two years ago i thought was one of his greatest skills he is excellent from not in the half space but not all the way on the wing kind of top corner of the box, playing in an early ball to the front post. I thought that that was a skill of his that I have not seen so successful at such a young age, 16, 17 years old, from anybody. I think he lost confidence early crossing for Rotherham, starts to get it back for Coventry. They don't necessarily play a lot of deep crosses. I think a lot of their success comes from Giochri's or whoever's playing as second striker, whether it be Gunnen or Casey Palmer before he got injured, receiving the ball, uh, and then and play coming from there. I think Brooke Norton Guffey has had a lot of issues this year, inconsistent issues, and has still put up excellent numbers and made excellent contributions. I do expect him to come back and go on loan to a Premier League side next year. I think that's a good test for him. I think that really will show if he's ready for that level, but I wouldn't be totally shocked if none of our right-back links come to fruition for him to be a rotational right-back next year, and, and something that he might be really successful in, especially in the Champions League. I mean, there's a lot of discussion these days, especially because of Kieran Tierney. Oh, you inverted right backs and left backs don't work in the Champions League. I mean, that's a load of BS. If it, you, Anything can work if you do it right. And that tactic that works so well in the Premier League for Arteta and, and Guardiola, there's no reason it can't work in the Champions League with the right tweaks. But there is something to say that in tournament-style football, a little bit more of individual quality becomes necessary. And Brooknorn Cuffey brings that. Ben White has gotten really good overlapping, and I think that shows what Arteta wants from his right back. But Brooknorn Cuffey offers something a little bit different, and I wouldn't be completely shocked if he is kept on for next year instead of sent on loan again. Staying in the championship once more, Marquinhos, who went to loan to Norwich for the second half of the year has played eight matches for them one goal and one assist he's made five starts norwich are currently eighth one point off promotion playoffs and another team who is absolutely battling with five matches to play to find their way to potentially Wembley and into the Premier League Marquinhos has looked good at times and he's looked a little bit bland at times and I've spoken about this quite a bit so I'm not going to spend too much time on it but He has that little bit of thing. It kind of actually reminds me of the way Anthony plays, um, where he knows he has a deadly left foot. He knows that he has some skills in his bag. He can play a delicious ball in. He can shoot one into the top corner. He's got a lot of the attributes of someone who can create. But he receives the ball all too often with his back to goal and with no chance of actually taking a man on on his own. He has to play sideways too often if he doesn't receive the ball in enough space. That takes away a lot of the danger of having such a good left foot. If you're not willing to receive the ball in a progressive way, it's hard to progress play. And as obvious as that might seem, there are quite a few wingers in the world who who are excellent, who, who do just that. And it's something that I think Arteta is one of the best in the world at teaching, which is... You see it all the time with our right-hand side dynamics, right? Ben White has the ball, and he's basically all the way on the sideline. And Bukayo Saka is standing with his heels on the chalk. And as Ben White goes to play that pass, Bukayo Saka starts a full sprint inwards to receive the ball, in which case he's receiving the ball not at a standstill, but already in speed. And at that point, a defender who is chasing him is going to have to continue to pick up speed. And so Saka can either stop, get clattered from behind, win a free kick, stop, defenders overrun him and go by, or he's already past the defender because he's receiving the ball in full speed. It gives him options. And from there, play becomes much more dangerous. That is something Marquinhos certainly could use and would be key for him to learn. However, he's, I think, done quite well in a lot of the matches that he's played found some consistency, something he did not find for Arsenal in the first half of the year in the Europa League. He had a couple of matches where he was excellent and a couple where it's kind of like, what are you doing? But again, another player who's going to get great experience, who's shown he, at the very least, can play at this level. I'll be interested to see how he ends this season. Hopefully not just five more matches, but maybe some bigger ones ahead. And a player who, again, the right-wing market is not great at the moment. A lot of Marquinhos' future depends on, does Reese Nelson re-sign with Arsenal? Do Arsenal go out and spend a bag on a Moussa Diaby, somebody who's comfortable on the right wing? Or do Arsenal, if Liao doesn't sign this contract extension, go all in for Liao, whether it's Balagoon plus money, whatever, bring him in. And then you need a right-hand side winger who can deputize for Saka and not make Saka play 55 matches next season. If that's the case, Marquinhos with the way he's played, I could see him stepping into that role, especially with another summer under Arteta. Now that he's more comfortable, he said it took him a little while to adjust to living in England, and and he had the help of the three Gabbies and the Brazilians in the squad, obviously. But he's done excellently at Norwich. He's earned his spot in a front four that has been firing all season. And so it was no guarantee that he would find his way there, but clearly shown a lot. Uh, and exciting few matches coming up for him, and and the biggest matches he's played in England, really, which is pretty crazy considering he featured for Arsenal this year. Staying on the wings, but leaving England, Marcelo Flores has had just obviously an up-and-down year, Uh, 15 appearances and one assist with Oviedo. He's played under two managers. Oviedo sit 15th, safe from relegation, nowhere near promotion. The issue for Flores is he basically has not played since December 11th. He's made one appearance, which was a start where he played 57 minutes, and otherwise, he has been on the bench for every other match. Well, that carries very little weight. It shows that he's not in any sort of disagreement with the manager. That's not why he's not playing. It's a matter of ability, a matter of confidence. Uh, It's been a very confusing period. He did end up signing a two-year extension with Arsenal which did not always seem likely. It seemed like he might be on the way out. Uh, Obviously, his dream and and his hopes to play for a big club in Spain, namely Barcelona, have been where the rumors are. But he signed a two-year extension. It's expected for him to go on loan to Europe, or more likely Spain, next year again, so he can have the visa he needs to kind of move freely around Europe. But it's been disappointing. I thought Marcelo Flores kind of hit the ground running in the first few matches. I thought he looked great for a young player, 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid who had never played senior football, really, other than a couple of minutes here and there for Mexico's internationals team. He just lost confidence quickly. Managers changed. Oviedo was struggling. They actually happened to have brought in a bunch of experienced players over the summer and again in January, added to their squad to prevent relegation. They've been in decent form. All Kind of the perfect concoction for Flores not to get more minutes. But we will just have to see. I, I don't expect him to play a lot this year throughout the rest of the season, unless devastating injuries strike at Oviedo. But next year, I expect him to go on loan. Hopefully, it's not to Oviedo. He's not in the plans. He needs to play regularly. He's a fabulous player. The project may have moved past him already, based on what we're seeing. But who knows? Next year, he goes to Spain. Plays for a La Liga 2 side or a low-end La Liga side and and impresses. Anything is possible. Speaking of frustrating loans, we obviously know about the awful stint Omar Recky had at Sparta Rotterdam to start the year. We've covered that extensively. I'm not going to bore your ears with more frustration. But since then, he's made seven appearances for Wigan, including one awful one with a double yellow-red within the first 20 minutes. Not going to focus on that either. We're going to focus on the positives of Omar Recky which are that he's played well in multiple different roles in a back three. He's dealt incredibly well with physical strikers with the likes of Daryl DK. and the other ones that you are used to seeing in the championship, these bigger-bodied, older, experienced number nines who, you know, for a young player like Omar Recky, they can kind of trick them into making mistakes. The ball-playing ability of Omar Recky is completely unquestioned. You cannot watch him and say... You're worried when he has the ball at his feet. He doesn't make mistakes. He often makes incredible plays. He's happy to dribble as far as you let him into space why I thought he was going to be so good in the Eredivisie, a league where that's a specialty, a la Davidson Sanchez. And he's doing this all for the worst team in the championship, which I guess you could say a lot about that, but to me shows character. He's come in and said... This is my opportunity to show what has been missing for me. I got snubbed from the Tunisia World Cup squad because I wasn't given the chance to play this year, a squad that I had been pretty much a part of every single international break. I'm frustrated, I'm upset, I'm going to show how good I can be. And he's done just that to me. I've been very impressed with him. Other than that one match where he got tricked against the best side in the championship burnley who are i think going to hit the ground running in the premier league next year other than that little 20 minute double yellow where he just he lost his head a little bit I, i think i've been more than pleased with what i've seen from him and comfortably would feel happy with him at many sides at the bottom end of the premier league i think his biggest issue is that where he switches off in defense, he loses his man in behind. He goes to ground to make a slide tackle when he thinks he can win it when it's unnecessary. Right, the two yellows he got against Burnley was unnecessary for him to do that. He was back, he was in position, he could kept in front of the winger. Didn't need to go to ground both times he went to ground and got the player's foot. Those are the things you can really only learn from experience. I mean, you even saw with the likes of Saliba at times as a young defender. Gabrielle, it's taken him two, three years to become what is now one of the best left-footed center backs in the world. You can't expect defenders, and it's like what I touched upon earlier, you can't expect young defenders to not make mistakes. You have to be okay with mistakes. It's what they do the rest of the time that's key. Do they learn from it? Do they continue to be aggressive players and and continue to believe in themselves to defend? Do they continue to believe in themselves to stretch the defense with long balls over the top and and looking for opportunities for you to make an impact on a game outside of the regulars, outside of just doing your role, but actually performing above that. And Omar Rekik is an, a prime example of that. I think he's a great player who could be excellent for a top-flight side in Europe in any of the big five leagues. I think the Eredivisie is one, especially where he could be excellent. But probably another loan next season, whether it could be the championship. I, I could see him going back to the Bundesliga. Obviously, he was purchased from Hertha Berlin. Uh, I mean, it would be awesome to see him alongside Martin Dardai. They, they're, Dardai's more of the physical... Let's call it Gabriel of the, you know, the group, an excellent passer who can break the lines, but really physically demanding and strong. He's one of my favorite prospects in Europe. Uh, and then Omar Rekik, more of the Saliba, who's on the ball, he's confident, who shepherds players out of play, doesn't always go to ground necessarily. That's what he needs to become. Uh, is more what I'm saying. He's not necessarily the physical brute uh, of uh, of Gabriel, but more of a. He sees play out. Let's call it. He's a safe, smart defender who's ball-playing ability can absolutely change the dynamics of a side. So, I mean, I'm not going to rule out Omar Recky having a future at Arsenal. It's just too early to tell he hasn't had enough experience in senior football, but I think more likely he he's another player who could fetch a pretty decent fee with one good loan move. Talking about the Eredivisie, Mika Biareth, who's had another up-and-down season. I mean, we've had some unlucky injuries and some unlucky manager situations for our loanees Uh, Beareth has only made 10 appearances for Walwick, Uh, two goals and only two league starts. Uh, Neither of those goals coming in league starts, but nonetheless, good return. Averaging over .6 goals per 90 minutes in the league, which is great for his first senior football. Uh, He got his first call up to Denmark's under-21 side this season. He's looked dangerous when he's been on the pitch. Walwick are currently sitting in 10th place on 35 points. They're 7 off Utrecht for a Conference League spot with nine matches to play. So not totally out of reach with a good spell of form. Mika Bioreth now returning to the squad, looking to get on the pitch, looking to start matches, looking to make an impact. He's, I mean, we've spoken about him to death. Uh, I've done multiple threads on him on Twitter. He's one of my favorite prospects, not only at ALN, but I think his identity is one that you don't see a lot nowadays. He is Balagoon light. He is... Technically more secure, physically not as dominant. He can pick up the ball anywhere in the pitch and dictate play from there. He will score goals in and around the box. He will spin a defender. He has excellent dribbling technique. He has got a wide passing range. There's so many things you can do with him. And I actually think he would be especially good on a side like West Ham. I'm not saying right now. But in the future, he reminds me of Michael Antonio in ways where he's going to be an outlet. He's going to hound long balls. He's going to chase you down to win them. He is going to try and bully you in ways to keep you away from the ball and score. He's going to create for you. He's going to win headers in the box and score goals like that. He's going to do a little bit of everything. And he's okay being isolated at times because of how technically sound he is and how good he is with his back to goal. I think Walwick are twice the team when he's on the pitch. He adds another level of danger that they do not have. And he's been unlucky not to score more goals. He's been very close many times, and that comes with not getting on the pitch enough, mostly because of injury this year, but, you know, it's hard to... When you get X amount of chances to score every time, it's hard. You need to... The best players in the world are missing many chances, so you need to just be racking those chances up. That's how the goals come. But he likely comes back, goes on loan again. Another player where... It's tough. There's so many good strikers at Arsenal right now. I mean, I haven't even gotten to Nikolai Moeller yet, but you have to feel for the likes of him or Tyrese John Jules, who at this point are, have pretty much no chance of making it for Arsenal. I mean, and Balogun goes away and might win the Golden Boot in League One and still can't make it in the first team at Arsenal. we got Kaon Edwards coming through. Omari Benjamin. I mean, Nathan butler O'Yadehi, another one I haven't gotten to yet. There's so many strikers at Arsenal right now. And it's very... There's only one striker position in the squad. Right? There's only one starting striker position. You also have the likes of Martinelli who can play as a center forward. You have Trotsar who can play as a center forward. It's a tough time, both for good and bad reasons, to be a striker at Arsenal. And Mika Biarith is going to need another loan. Uh, I'd be interested to see where that is. But that's what is to come for him. Miguel Aziz has just had an awful couple of years. And he had a failed loan at Ibiza, which went south, came back, went to Wigan. He played twice For Colo Torre, Colo Torre was sacked. He has not featured for Wigan yet since. He has not been in the squad since. He has played twice for Wigan's under-21s. And other than that, he's nowhere to be seen. Managers, two out of his three managers this year, have cited his lack of effort in training, his attitude, him thinking he's better than whatever he's being asked to do. And that makes his future murky. A player who two years ago looked like he was on the precipice of entering the first team... Right in that Jocko role, in that left-center-mid role, the exact kind of profile we like there. But we know two things. Mikel Arteta does not mess about with players' attitudes. If you don't have the right attitude, you're gone. And it's hard to judge what he's done on the pitch in the last two years because it's been so sparse. And at times he's looked at like the Miguel Aziz that we've seen and watched for five, six years in the academy. And at times he's looked disinterested. He's looked like... A player who doesn't know his role, where he's best. Part of that is definitely Arsenal trying to convert him to a six. Then him going on loan, playing there, not succeeding there, playing as an eight. He hasn't played as an eight. He looks rusty. He's in and out of the side. He goes from Spain back to England to Wigan. It's a lot of ups and downs. And a player who, you hate to say, has let himself down in ways. Uh, He's let the club down in ways. And... You see it, unfortunately, well, too, all too often where players with as much ability as Miguel Aziz could be out of football in the next two or three years. And I just hope that isn't the case. I hope he gets the help he needs. I mean, who knows what's going on in somebody's life? You have to always remember that. Especially in sports, it gets forgotten. Mental health. And he might need to step away from the game. He might need some help off the pitch. He might be acting out because of other things going on in his life. And I'm not going to say he's... A bad person or he has a bad attitude i don't know enough about the situation i feel for him uh, it's a little unfortunate for us fans as well and and hopefully it gets resolved but obviously his future incredibly murky and, and it's hard to believe that he could be involved in any way with arsenal next year whether that's on loan from arsenal or staying at the club unless there's a crazy turnaround speaking of somewhat crazy turnarounds alex kirk who I, if you recall, when he went on loan to Ir United, I was like, first of all, I don't know what that club is, which is pretty crazy for me to say, because I know clubs in Bulgaria and Czech Republic and whatever cl- you know, countries that you're not used to just from watching. But I United and the Scottish Championship, Alex Kirk went on loan there, and he basically turned their season around four weeks into the season and have made them a promotion battling side. Twenty four appearances. Scored two goals and two assists, helped them keep six clean sheets, provided a real spark, as I mentioned, as they were struggling defensively more than anything coming out of the gate. Goal scoring has not been their issue. He, unfortunately, has had two bad injuries since being there. Uh, He had a terrible ankle injury in November that was supposed to see him out until March, Uh, but between rehab and his body just recovering fast, only missed six weeks, came back, went right back into the side, helped them continue to win matches, uh, but then unfortunately got injured again a few weeks ago and has returned to Arsenal as he is out for the rest of the season. But Ayer currently sit fourth in the promotion playoff spot, six points behind first with four matches to play. Um, he's been nothing but praised by his manager, his teammates, uh, the press, you name it. He has become exactly the defender that we watched at hale which is no nonsense. Uh, he's not necessarily going to play in a high line, but a confident defender who keeps the game in front of him, wins duels. He's not going to force a pass that's not there and knows his own abilities. He does not try and test his own abilities in ways that are harmful to the side. But just somebody you can rely on in the back. And when you're trying to fight for promotion, that's exactly the kind of thing you need. And he provided exactly that for Iron United. He feels like he found a real identity with the club. He mentioned in an interview he plans on continuing to watch them week in, week out, hoping for their promotion. And, you know, he even mentioned how great it would be if I United got promoted, Arsenal win the league, and what that would mean for him. And that he's ready to show Arteta this offseason why he should stick around next year and why he's such a what can be a great asset to the club immediately. And I mean to me, I think there's a couple things at stake. He has one year left on his contract, so I think Arsenal will try and extend that as quickly as possible, and see him go in the championship next year. He, I said this when he went on loan at the beginning of the year. He reminds me a lot of Daniel Ballard in the way that he plays, and the championship is exactly where he would thrive. I expect him to go there next year. Then maybe fetch him, fetch just a nice fee. I don't think he's got likely got a future at Arsenal. Obviously, these things change, but nonetheless, he can provide himself as an asset to the club, and, and that's what Hail End is for. Okay, we will try to move through these last people a little bit faster. This has been a long episode. I, I do apologize. A lot to catch up on, as I mentioned. Uh, Nikolai Moeller, who I cover extensively because I'm a fan of unique profiles, and his is obviously as unique as anyone between his size, his technical, and, and close controllability for somebody of his size. Just he, He's so impressive and stands out on the pitch. Uh, 19 appearances for Denbosch this season. Four goals and one assist. Den Bosch are having another horrid season. They're second to bottom, 30 points in 32 games. They had that horrific loss uh, when De- uh, when Muller was out. But Moller has done exactly what you know he's going to do. Third most aerial duels won per 90 minutes in the league. This is the second division in the Netherlands. He's winning over five aerial duels per 90 minutes. He hasn't been able to stay on the pitch consistently nagging injuries i think a lot of it is growth related and it's the same kind of stuff we're seeing with smith row when you're that size and somebody myself who's well over six feet tall when i was going through this period in my life I, I was missing athletics week in and week out and i didn't even you know have all of the tools that these guys have like he must be in some serious pain and it, it's tough when your calves hurting and your knees hurting and your thighs hurting and your ankles hurting then your back's hurting because all of your things are growing at different times and whatever it might be and from my understanding that's a lot of what Nikolai Moeller has been dealing with as well as some unfortunate things over the last few years like he got a knee to a rib cage and broke a couple ribs and he got a little bit of a foot injury in training and luck plays such a big part in the progression of these young players and that's just halted Nikolai Moeller's and as I mentioned with the striker backlog, in all likelihood, Nikolai will be finding a new home, a new permanent home uh, in the summer, somewhere he can get settled, get past his injury woes, and get consistent playing time in a team that's going to play to his strengths. And I, I still believe in him to be an excellent, excellent player, and I don't believe this is the last we're going to hear of Nikolai Muller. Next, we've got Mazita Gungbo, who's another player, a lot of up and down seasons, a lot of it doing to do with Things that have nothing to do with the players themselves, but things going on at the club. Kevin Betsy brings Mazita Gungbo to Crawley Town. Kevin Betsy gets fired two and a half months into his job. So Mazita Gungbo obviously had moments where he was not playing at all, moments where he's playing week in and week out. He played 26 matches, one goal and one assist. Goal and assist both coming in the last month. He's picked up four yellow cards and one red. The red was, he made a mistake and the way he made up for it was just taking the guy out. Uh, He's made 17 starts, mostly succeeding in a left-back role. Uh, He was completely out of the side between November and March. But now, due to injuries, he's become their main left-back. And this is another one similar to the Coventry situation. And obviously, I have a different eye due to having watched these players for such a long time and and rooting for their best interests and, and trying to find the positives in their displays and trying to understand them as humans instead of just being like football players, which is... What fans are doing, and I understand that. But Mazid has has dealt with a lot and, and I think, really started to kind of show what he's best at. And that's really what lone moves are for more than anything, is to show how your game can translate to senior football. Here's just a few reasons and a few stats to back it up. Fourth most successful dribbles per 90 minutes amongst defenders in League 2. Fifteenth most tackles per 90 minutes amongst defenders in League 2. And the 13th most roundals won per 90 minutes in all of League Two. To me, this speaks to Mazita athleticism and his technical ability. And I'm going to tell you why. Dribbles, that's obvious. He knows his own strengths. He knows his speed. He knows the moves that work for him and in the spaces and areas of the pitch that he can pull those off. Because oftentimes they're coming in the same areas over and over again. When it comes to the tackles and ground duels, I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the year, I was talking about how he seemed to be lacking in confidence when 50-50s were presenting themselves when a player was taking him on. He has now figured out, especially since he's found consistency at kind of a left-back situation, how to use the sideline as his friend and use, again, his speed and strength as his friend, forcing players into positions where he can put a foot in without taking too much of a risk. What I will say is he has struggled with decision-making at times on the ball. He's given the ball away cheaply sometimes. And a little too often, and the main reason Crawley Town fans are having a bugaboo with him, is that he's losing his man in the box or misjudging a cross, and it's being easily played in behind him, which is a big no-no. And one of those things where without consistency on the pitch, it's a hard one to get rid of. And I think Brooknor and Cuffey's a great... Example of that early in his career, especially at the first few matches at Lincoln, that was happening to him and he quickly figured it out. He had the pleasure of playing week in and week out for the same manager who wasn't getting fired, who, whatever, X, Y, and Z, all the external factors, which play a big role. Crawley are now one point from safety with five matches to go. Uh, they're going, the team ahead of them is Hartlepool, who, with Taylor Four on, who I'm about to cover next, is right above them. Uh, But it looks like a gungbo is going to be playing left back for them on the way in. And great experience to try and keep the side up. I'll go to Taylor on next, as I mentioned, with Hartlepool United. Uh, Nine appearances for Hartlepool, seven starts. He went there in January. Uh, Excellent, excellent dueler. A dual demon, as I like to say. My favorite phrase. Uh, But he hasn't necessarily been able to nail down a starting spot over the last few matches because they keep switching between a back four and a back five. And they seem to have found more success with that back four. They've actually only had two losses for a team second to bottom. Only two losses since Foran moved there. He's been really helping them to safety, a lot to do with his strengths at the back, which are keeping play in front of him, his ability to win duels, uh, winning aerial duels at a 77% rate, which is there's only one defender winning them at a higher rate in all of League 2 than that. Uh, they're one point above the drop with five matches to go. And, I mean, Foran has done exactly what he's you'd expect him to do. He's huge body center back. He isn't going to play in a high line. He's going to play deep. He's going to keep the play in front of him. And he's not going to, you know, when he dives in, bad things happen, as we've discussed earlier. But another player, him and Agungbo both, uh, I would expect both of them to go on loan again next year. gungbo, I could say leaving permanently. Uh, I think he, that's just what I think is more likely. Taylor Foran, I believe, will go on loan another year, hopefully one uh, level higher up. But a player who, who played a lot for the U21s for the first half of the year and, and someone who I think Arsenal's, you know still like to keep around and keep him on the books. Staying with defenders, Ryan Alabiyosu uh, at Kilmarnock in the Premiership in Scotland. 28 appearance for them. They sit 10th and in the relegation group. Uh, he's made 17 starts in all comps. And it's funny, he started off the year hot, looked comfortable, um, was great on the ball, seemed to be one of their best attacking threats going forward down that right wing. But he really has lost confidence since and can't really seem to figure out the defensive side of the game. Which is a little odd. I mean, his progression is odd. Like, he was kind of a hidden gem who all of a sudden became a great player for the U21s last year when there was a little bit of Brooke Norton Cuffey injury going on. And he just kind of slotted into right back, found a lot of early success as going forward, lots of assists with excellent crossing, uh, and then went on loan and and did well on loan at Crew, Alexandra, and went on another loan here. I think the goal was if he can do it in the Scottish Premiership, maybe Arsenal can get a fee this summer, and, you know, Alibioso has become an excellent product coming out of hale uh, But he's really started to struggle, losing concentration, another player who's mismarking players, then making the wrong decisions when they let a player in behind, making a bad tackle, or just giving up on a play, or whatever it might be. I mean, that whole side is such a disaster. It's hard to just take him out and look at him in his own lens. It's so hard to watch them all as a team. Uh, but the one positive I will say about Alibiosu is he, he's looked really good going forward at times. He has great long strides. He's a very powerful runner. And I think he will succeed in senior football because of this. Uh, but I'd expect still... I'd still expect him to probably leave permanently in the summer. Potentially to a, a team in Scotland or, or a championship or, or League One side. Reminds me a little bit of Harry Clark. Maybe he goes on a six-month loan and then ends up you know, getting sold next year. But that that's what I see for him in the future. A couple more players here. Tim Akinola, 28 appearances for Chesterfield this year, 1 assist, only 11 starts, even though he is far and away the fan favorite. And now, he has not gotten in the squad for the last 6 matches, even though it's not injury-related. Manager just says he can't seem to find him a place for him in the squad, even though the fans love him, and it's a good thing, and blah blah blah. I mean... I don't watch all of Chesterfield's matches. They're hard to find. Uh, The ones I have watched are because Tim is playing. He seems to be an X-factor for them, and they seem to win matches and get themselves in positions to score in dangerous areas more often than not when he's on the pitch. Uh, They're currently one point off third, though, in the National League, which gets you in the semifinal automatically for the promotion playoff. Uh, They've got four matches to play. They would love to get stay in that third, second or third position to get themselves in that semifinal. Uh, Tim hoping to get himself a chance to play, but I would expect him to leave permanently after the season, and if Chesterfield find a way up, I could see him going there. I mean, the fans really love him. The manager has used him in an interesting way, as I've talked about, with it being a pressing mechanism and using his athleticism in the middle of the park to cover as much distance as possible, win balls back all over the pitch, uh, and, and obviously his technical ability is no joke, especially at this level. Uh, Nathan Butler-Oyadehi went on loan to Accrington Stanley in January. He's played eight matches, only four starts. Really hasn't made the impact he was hoping, but I think a lot of that has to do with the way Accrington play. Uh, Nathan is obviously a player who played a lot on the wings in Hale End. Uh, then this year, due to some striker injuries and and his own successes, became more of a center forward. Uh, but he's used to receiving the ball to feet and using his pace and, and, and close quarter control to kind of you know, beat his man and, and get a shot off. And that is not how Akrington Stanley played. They play long balls into the channel. Uh, they brought him in as they spoke about to use his speed as a, as a player to get onto the ball there. But hard for him to kind of make the adaption to senior f- football and kind of learn a new style of play at the same time. Uh, I'd expect his loan to go, him to have a loan next year as well for the full season uh, to a place that better suits his game. Uh, but Accrington Stanley are in the final relegation spot, two points from safety with six matches to play. Who knows? Maybe Nathan Butler or on the last day scores a goal to, you know, keep them in League One. And he's an Accrington-Stanley legend. I mean, these are the kind of fun things to to look out for and to watch. And and that's why I do this because I think it's great when a player like him who has aspirations of playing for a side that is now potentially going to win the league this year can do something for a club like Accrington-Stanley and and keep them in League One or whatever it might be. I just find those interesting storylines to be awesome. And he could become a cult hero at his age, which is hysterical to me and, and in a great way. Not funny in in a, you know, mocking Ackerman Stanley way, but in a way that's like, it's hard to believe that this is the world we live in, that sports dictate our happiness in, in such a large way. Uh, just a few more outfield players before we cover our goalies. Obviously, everyone knows the bad news of Tyrese John Jules, who has not featured since October 29 and, and ended up having to have hamstring surgery after he returned to training and re-injured it it's just sad i don't want to talk about it too much because it really i just feel terrible for him the injuries have racked up and it's just not clear what's next for him he seems to have a good head on his shoulders every well at least at ipswich the manager says he's just such a bright spot in training and you just hope that he's another one where if you can get past the growing pains and the little injuries as a youngster and and continue to Love the game and fight through it all and, and want to play enough. Uh, you know He'll have a future in senior football. He's just too skilled not to. But it's not clear what that, what that next step will be for him yet. And, and his time at Arsenal is likely over with his contract ending this year. The last outfield players, Billy Vigar and Kito, Kito Taylor-Hart, obviously playing for Derby County's under-21s on loan, another odd one. Um, the speculation of them ever playing for Derby's senior side was merely speculation and clearly not happening. Vigar's made seven appearances for the U21s without a goal or assist. Taylor Hart has made seven appearances as well, um, scored one goal and scored a hat-trick in the Derbyshire Cup, uh, where he had an excellent performance there. I'd expect both of them to leave permanently this summer, uh, as if they couldn't even, you know, find game time for Arsenal's under-21 side, who are really struggling as of late. Uh, I don't see how Arsenal see them having a future with the side. The more surprising one, obviously, of the two being Taylor Hart, who... Then he felt two years ago him and Amari Hutchinson were just a, a mere step away from the first team, and now neither of them will seemingly ever play for Arsenal. Now we're going to do our goalies. We're going to try and do them in the next five minutes. Keep this under 60 minutes. I know this is a long one, but it's informative, and it'll answer a lot of the questions that people have had for me on Twitter that I haven't necessarily been having a chance to get to. Uh, Arthur Aconquo, the star of the goalies. 36 matches across five competitions in two countries this year on loan, 23 matches in League Two, two FA Cup matches, one League Cup match, eight in the Austrian Bundesliga, and two in the Austrian Cup. He's got 14 clean sheets and allowed 42 goals in 36 matches. Pretty good return, especially considering he was playing for Crew Alexandra, for the first half of the year and played 26 of those matches for them. He made 79 saves in 23 League Two matches, which is just absurd showing how poor that defense is. I don't know if anyone remembers, but those last few matches for Arthur Conquil crew, crew, I never had, I was in shock on this podcast at the defending I was watching. Never seen anything like it. It was so porous. Swiss cheese D, as my favorite announcer, Walt Clyde Frazier, would call it. Literal holes, gaping in the defense. Um, Second highest clip in saves per 90 minutes uh, in League 2 this year at 3.43. Third highest in saves inside the bat inside the box per 90 minutes. And the highest rating of any goalie in League 2 all year. He was a star. He was, although struggled early on with shots from outside the box, he was a star for most of the season. Only one keeper has saved more penalties in League 2 this year, and Okonko hasn't played there since December. He faced three penalties and saved two. Uh, one other keeper has saved three, having faced five. He has the most punches per 90 minutes in League 2 with over one. And again, he has not played since December in this league. More recently, though, since joining Sturm Graz in the Bundesliga, he's played eight matches in the Austrian Bundesliga, keeping three clean sheets, and they've won six of those matches. He also played in the quarterfinals and semifinals of the Austrian Cup, keeping a clean sheet in the semis and saving two penalties in the quarters against Salzburg to see them into the finals. Sturm Graz are absolutely loving him. They are trying to keep him on loan for another season as he has really hit the ground running there. And they're trying to kind of challenge Salzburg for being the best team in the Austrian Bundesliga. And and they've made a case for it. They've been excellent. Uh, I have never watched them before Okonkwo went there, but they play a a fun, expansive style of football. They have very interesting talents in attack. And Okonkwo has looked very comfortable there. Okonkwo has mentioned quite a bit in interviews. Uh, Number one, that... I think he's going to represent Nigeria, which is exciting, uh, that he could be their number one very soon or or in the near future, and that his dream is still to make it at Arsenal, but he doesn't want to go there and be the third-choice goalkeeper. He wants to go there if he's going to get the chance to play, and if not, he'd like to continue to go on loan to big clubs like Sturm Graz and and other clubs and show why he deserves a spot. And I love that mentality out of him. I love the way he's worked on his game and continued to become better and and improve he became an excellent penalty saver and his distribution has gotten better. He's learned how to better position himself in goal uh, with long shots as he hasn't really let any in since moving to Austria. So really enjoyed watching him this year. Next, we've got Ovie Jahiri, who I've covered extensively uh, in the way that he was playing for Chelmsford city this year, obviously 28 competitive appearances for him across two countries, 21 in the national league South two in the FA cup four in the Liga cup in Finland. And he made his finish league debut just this past weekend. He kept 11 clean sheets in the National League South. We've talked about this. Only allowed 15 goals. Incredible. All of this amazing things. The reason he was, his his contract actually ended and, a, you know, not that the Finnish league is such an amazing league, but he gets to play in a top division playing for SJK, Sinajoki. Uh, he made his debut in the Finnish league this weekend, as I mentioned, allowing one goal uh, and a 2-1 victory. And Ovi's best quality is his reaction saves he positions himself well and he gets makes himself big immediately and he's made some stellar stellar saves this year uh i my, I, my belief is sjk senajoki will want to keep him on a similar deal for another six months because their league season just started so if he goes home in two months they're going to be without a goal their number one goalkeeper so let's see what happens there but a great year for him and the final goalkeeper is tom smith who's at colchester united we covered him at Br- uh bromley he just made his first appearance for Colchester as Kieran O'Hara. Actually, his back got hurt in training. Uh, kept a clean sheet and a 4-0 win. And Colchester manager was very impressed with him and said he's going to have a real decision to make when Kieran O'Hara comes back. Very impressed with Tom Smith's distribution. And, I mean, Arsenal have so many good goalkeepers that I wouldn't expect Tom Smith to stay around much longer. But who knows? I mean, Arsenal have all, become, all of a sudden become goalkeeper FC. In End and it's a good problem to have because a great goalkeeper is hard to come by but those are all of our players who have been on loan kept it under an hour a lot of exciting things hopefully i've answered most of the questions that i haven't had the chance to do so and the podcast will resume regularly next week and thank you all for listening to another episode of away from hail end